or am I okay? Uh, any anybody know how many lives were claimed by the Kern River this year? Have a rough est- estimate. There there were there were some right there were would you would you say several? Yeah. I like I I mentioned last week I grew up in a river town. And uh, you know there was a lot of recreation that took place on the river, and in many ways the river was 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 a was a very good thing. Um, but in but in many ways, I- I- as well, the the river was was considered to be dangerous. And uh, and and to the point of being deadly. We've been talking about uh, Joshua crossing the river of Jordan at flood stage. And uh, I don't know if I've communicated to you enough how, how dangerous this was for Joshua and the nation of Israel. And, and, and what a challenge Joshua had to face. And, and God leading him and, his, and, and, and the people of God to the edge of the river, not, not the very edge, because that would have been very muddy, but to the edge of the river so that they could see the river in its, in its flood stage, in its torrents, and, and, and had them stay there three days as they contemplated this challenge. I picked this up this week in an article. Joshua had to cross the river. And the logistical challenges he faced were the kind that keep generals awake at night. Karl von Clausewitz was a a Prussian military strategist who lived during the 19th century. In his classic work on war, that's still used in American war colleges today, he dedicates an entire chapter to the matter of river crossings. In that chapter, he identifies such a crossing as one of the greatest challenges that a general faces since it exposes the troops to very grave dangers. He says that no general... This is a quote, no general will place himself in such a position unless he can count on substantial moral and material superiority. Let me read that again. No general will place himself in such a position, very similar to the position that Joshua was in, unless he can count on substantial moral and material superiority. What did Joshua count on? Something much more than substantial moral and material superiority. (laughs) Joshua counted on the true and living God. But it was a challenge. 
It was a it was more than a formidable challenge. It was it was a challenge that you just can't really prepare for. A, a God-sized challenge. And, and, and I know that there, there are uh, that many, if not all of us in a room, have been confronted by God-sized challenges. A God-sized challenge is a challenge that only God can help us through. A challenge that only God can help us through. A challenge that requires resources that only God can provide. Let's pray and then we'll look at uh, Joshua chapter 4. Heavenly Father, help us to understand your word this morning. Help us to understand what you're saying to us through it. Today, in our world, at this critical time, we pray for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This was Joshua's challenge because at this point of the story, and the story begins with Adam and Eve in a garden, and it ends in a great city. That's, that can be viewed as a restoration of the Garden of Eden. This story has many, many stories within the story. And it progresses toward a, toward a, toward a climax and a, and, a, and, a, and a point. It has a destination. And Joshua's part of the story. And his part of the story involves the people of God and, and organizing the people of God and, and meeting the challenges that are, that are there for the people of God. And that includes a river. And it includes when they cross the river, hostile people and, and conquering a land and 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 that's what that's what Joshua is is, is faced with a God-sized task of, of bringing God's people into a land and getting them stabilized in this land and getting them secure in this land and making sure that the people worship the one true and only God in this land that was Joshua's challenge first challenge is crossing the river when all the nation, first chapter 4, verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. And this, 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 this people of God was comprised of these 12 tribes. Take 12 men from the people, from each, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. 
Then Joshua called the 12 men. In response to God's instructions, Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Now this wasn't a stone that, that, that you could skip across the river. This was a stone that required, you know, it was like maybe not a boulder, but something between a pebble and a boulder. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Great events, noteworthy experiences should not be wasted. Great events where there's clear evidence of God at work. Noteworthy events where we see the Lord's hand should not be wasted. They should be preserved in our memory. Noteworthy experiences where God, it's obvious that God is involved. That God is our hope and our help. And He's proven it. Those experiences, don't waste them. Perpetuate the memory of those experiences. That's what's happening here. The word Jordan is used several times. Just to keep it in front of the, of, the, of the face of people, in front of their, in their minds, the word Jordan. Crossing the Jordan. Crossing over the Jordan. It's, it's a refrain that's used several times throughout the chapter, throughout the two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Crossing over the Jordan. The Ark of the Lord. And it's named, it's given, it's given a couple of different names. The Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Lord, that, that golden box that represented the very presence of God. Repeated often throughout these chapters, these two chapters. God crossing over Jordan, the challenge. It's something that, 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 that helps us to remember that, 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 that it, it, it's still true today. Challenges that we face. God's presence that's available, not, not as symbolized in an ark, but God's presence in our very lives. Somehow, in some inexplicable way, that I can't wrap my mind around, God is constantly present with me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Constantly present. It's not symbolized in some object. 
But the, but the revelation of God has progressed to the point that he has, has shown us, he has shown us that he is present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. God's presence, the challenges. And it's incumbent upon us to remember. To remember how God helps us to cross over those Jordan rivers in our life. Boy, there's one big thing that we do that helps us to remember. And it helps us to remember an event that we didn't, that we didn't necessarily actively participate in, but was participated in on our behalf. Once a month, every month, we remember. Once a month, every month, we remember. What is it that we remember? We remember a crossing over. We remember a crossing over from death into life. We were at a memorial service today, or yesterday, excuse me, yesterday. We were at a memorial service. Joe's brother died, Reuben. Is it, was it Reuben? Reuben. That came to me this morning. I was trying to remember. We went to a memorial service, and it was repeated over and over and over and over again. Reuben has crossed over. And what a wonderful chance every month to remember that we've crossed over from death into life. Because of this most important event ever, the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the promised coming of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something, okay? There's a reason we do it once a month. There's a reason we do it regularly, consistently. Some churches have eliminated it because it gets in the way. It's not consistent with their worship plan. Let's not get rid of it, let's keep it. I'll tell you why, because historical, I read this, it's not original with me, historical Alzheimer's is a real danger. Historical Alzheimer's is a real danger. See, you sit there hoping, I'll get to heaven someday, but you don't have to hope that you'll get to heaven someday. I stand here, I don't hope that I'll get to heaven someday. I don't, I, you shouldn't sit there, and I don't stand here hoping that somehow my life can please God. I'm not hoping for that. I'm assured of that. I know that. Because of what happened in history. 
because my God and my Savior came in the, in a, in, in, as a baby, as a person, and He grew up and matured, and He gave His life as a sacrifice for my sins in history. And I know because my faith is in that, that event, and the significance of that event, I know that I'm saved. I don't hope for it. I know it. I hope for it in the sense that I hope it happens quick because this body's falling apart. Because the world's falling apart. But I'm assured, and this is why I have to remember. I have to remember what happened in history. You see, things like communion, things like the Lord's Supper, things like that fashion our thinking. And as it fashions our thinking, it helps us form an identity. Brief story. Sad. True. Breaks my heart, but it's true. My mom was the kind of person, when we got home from school, when we got home from school, you didn't put your books on the counter. If you put your books on the counter that you brought home from school, and we used to do that. We used to bring books home from school. Can you imagine that, Kyle? We brought books home from school. We didn't have an iPod. We had books. We'd, girls would carry them like this, and boys would carry them like this. Had books, and we, we'd, sometimes we'd put our books on a counter, and Mom would say, take those books off that counter. You wouldn't dream unless you wanted to cause a firestorm of wearing your shoes in a house. Wouldn't dream of it. Never went through the front door because going through the front door meant going into the room where everything was perfect. Didn't go in that room. Always went in the back door, took your shoes off, didn't put your books on the counter. Before my mother died, due to complications related to Alzheimer's, my dad and my brothers informed me that she would open up peanuts and throw the shells on the floor. Or stick them down between the cushions. She had Alzheimer's. Dementia. She forgot who she was. This is exactly what happens to us when we forget who we are. And we forget who we are when we drift away from those important things that we ought to be doing. Reading our Bible. Praying. 
remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in communion. You see, these guys, they weren't going to forget. This nation wasn't going to forget. They were not going to forget what God did for them. And so they took stones from that river and they piled them up. And that monument stayed there. And every time, kids would ask, Dad, what's that weird-looking pile of stones? Dad would say, that's no weird pile of stones. That shows us what God did for us. To get into this place, what God did for us so that we could be called His people in this place. Let's read some more. And the people, God said to Joshua, Joshua said to the people, verse 8, and the people did. Just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua, excuse me, Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now there's a, there's, a, there's a question as to whether there were two piles of stone. One, one on the other side of the river and one where the priest stood. Because remember the, remember the story. It doesn't say it here, but remember the story. The priests walked up with the, with, the, with the ark. They passed in front of the entire nation. They walked up with the ark to the edge of the waters. They stepped their foot, feet in the water and when they stepped into the water, the Jordan dried up. The waters from above were cut off. The waters from below were cut off. And they walked across the Jordan on dry ground. Some say that, that some interpret this as, as Joshua put stones where the feet of the priest stood. Others say that those were the stones that the twelve took up. And some say there were two sets of stones. It doesn't matter. There were stones. And those stones were constructed into a memorial that was to be remembered. Just like when you go to, I've never been to Arlington Cemetery. I've never been there, but I've seen it in pictures. And it's unmistakable, right? I mean, you don't mistake Arlington National Cemetery. And when you look at that cemetery, you remember. Sacrifices have been made. For the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished 
that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. See, the prominence of the presence of God. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who, had, who already had been established on the other side of the Jordan, but were encouraged to cross with the people of God because of the unity factor. The fact that this was a unified people of God. They passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Do you notice the military strategy here? The military strategy is, let's make sure God's involved. In fact, it's not just, let's make sure God's involved, that God has a part in this. The military plan is to, let's make sure God initiates the plan and completes the plan and is over the plan. Of course, that's very consistent with what's going to happen, remember? They're going to conquer Jericho. How are they going to conquer Jericho? Well, Josh fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. No. God fought the battle of Jericho. And the walls came a-tumbling down. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Now, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, the need for an explanation there, okay? Isn't this like a, maybe close to uh, hero worship? Or, or way too close to uh, uh, beginning a, a celebrity culture? No, it's not. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because Joshua and Moses were unique historical figures. And, and yes, God exalted them and, and, and lifted them up, and people looked at them with reverence and, and, and awe. But these two men pointed to someone greater than themselves. These two men pointed to the ultimate mediator between God and man, who, of course, is Jesus Christ. You see, Moses fulfilled a mediatorial role. Mediat is that how? Yeah, mediatorial role. And Joshua fulfilled that role as well, a mediator between God and man, between God and, and the, the people of God. And now Jesus has come to fulfill what they pointed to. And so in our church, we don't regard anyone as a Moses or a Joshua. That'd be foolish. Jesus Christ is our leader. And our fear and our reverence and our awe 
is for him. That's a difference between then and now. They were, they were simply pointing to a, a, a greater reality. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest come up out of the Jordan. <laughs> Joshua just did what God told him. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. Listen to this. Their, their feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. So, I didn't tell you this before, but I'll tell you now. 140 feet across, 10 to 12 feet deep. People came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of the Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let the children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. And I mentioned it last week, and I'll mention it again. Not on muck, on dry ground. For the Lord your God, <coughs> excuse me, dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. See, God is the same in every generation. I'll die. I'll pass away. And in time, be occasionally remembered. At the beginning, every day, in 10 years, a couple of times a week, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He led people through turbulent waters at the Red Sea as Pharaoh was chasing them down. He destroyed Pharaoh's armies in the sea. He created dry ground when the Jordan was at its most turbulent stage and God's people walked through on dry ground. And for us, he's done something so much greater. We've crossed over from death to life eternally.
God was God then. God is God now. And my job is not to make sure that my legacy stays with these kids, but that they know that God is their God. And their identity is shaped and formed by the fact that they're children of God. The God who does amazing things. Verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know may know deeply in the core of their being that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we are thankful for a passage like this that uh, reminds us of what's happened historically but also what continues to happen today. Your hand is no less mighty today than it was then. And even as Joshua had a mission, we also have a mission. And that's to keep the memory of your works alive. Those, those great works like your death on the cross, your resurrection, your ascension, your coming, but also those, those wonderful things that you do in, in, in our daily lives and at different times in our life. Times that we just we need to remember and preserve and pass along. So Father, help us to be people who do that very thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.